about to begin Bible studies in, in Clifton Heights. We met at one building for eight months, and now we're meeting at the St. Stephen's Church. It's Episcopal Church right on Baltimore Pike. And that was my heart's desire all along was that building, and God just opened up the door. And um, folks, uh, right now there's um, not a lot of people, but, um, but uh, we've seen a couple of people saved in street evangelism. We have a couple of people from our uh, people fr- who come to the Bible study who are from the community. And um, I just have a dream. I have a dream. I've had it for over two years that um, there would be a church started, that the Bible study would grow and there would be a church started there. I won't be the pastor. I won't be the pastor. I'm just there to to be used of God, hopefully to, to begin the work. And, and then we're just praying for a man to take over the work. So a lot for God to do, but our God can do anything. And so um, if you could just pray for that. We're just trying to reach the people of Clifton Heights with the gospel. I was just reading that there are almost 7,000 people in Clifton Heights. And it's, a, it's an area that has a lot of liturgical churches. And, uh, but how many of those 7,000 people have ever heard a clear presentation of the gospel? And that's why we're going. That's why we're going, just to try to share the gospel with people. I was reading a story about a month ago of a group of teenagers that uh, were standing around a stray dog. And a pastor, or excuse me, a preacher, or, or a minister came upon them. And he said to them, what are you doing? And the kids said, we're telling lies. And the one who tells the biggest lie gets the stray dog. And the uh, the minister became very pompous and self-righteous, and he said, well, when I was your age, I never even thought of telling a lie. (laughs) And all of a sudden, the kids got really sad and despondent. And finally, one spoke up, and referring to the minister, he said, well, I guess he wins the dog. Lies, lies. But the opposite of truth, the opposite of lies is truth. And I tell you, there's a chapter in Scripture. There's an amazing chapter of Scripture that is just so full of truth, and it's Romans chapter eight. And can you turn to Romans chapter eight? Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter 8 is the high water mark of Romans. Someone has called it this incomparable chapter. Someone says it begins with no condemnation, ends with no separation. And in the middle it says that all things work together for good to them that love God. There's so much here, but first of all, the first thing I see is that we are secure. Romans 8 shows us that we are secure. Look at Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The word condemnation only appears three times in the New Testament, all in Romans. Here, chapter 5, verses 16, and also chapter 5, verse 18. It was used in judicial settings as the opposite of justification. But the Bible says in Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace 
with God. It has the idea, justification means that God declares us righteous. There are times that um, we don't feel righteous, or there are times that we condemn ourselves. There are times that others condemn us, and of course, the accuser of the brethren condemns us. But the Bible says that there's no condemnation to us because God sees us as righteous. My friend, do you understand that? That there are times that we don't feel righteous. Sometimes we don't even act righteous. But our standing in Christ, if you know Christ, our standing in Christ is that he sees you and he sees me as righteous. We also see it in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 39. Chapter 8, 35 to 39. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul scans the entire universe, and he concludes that nothing, absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God. About five weeks ago, I read an article entitled, Nine lasting, 19 Lasting Effects of Abandonment or Emotionally Unavailable Parents. It's talking about people who have been abandoned, whether physically or emotionally. I'm not going to read all 19, but here's some of the consequences. It could be attachment disorders, depression, lack of confidence, self-esteem issues, caretaking, people-pleasing behavior, which is detrimental to self-trust issues. Here are some of the statements that people have heard who have been abandoned. I'm going to call the orphanage and give you away if you don't behave. I don't care what you do. I give up on you. You can all stay here. I'm leaving. Fend for yourselves. Maybe you heard something like that when you were growing up, and it's deep down inside of you. It's a recording that once in a while you hear. But I'm here to tell you you need to hear another recording. You, hear to, you need to hear another voice. Jesus says, Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Look at Isaiah chapter 49. Keep your place in Romans, but look at Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49. You've probably read these verses before. But in Isaiah chapter 49, verses 14 to 16. Isaiah 49, verses 14 to 16. It says, But Zion said, the Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Can a woman forget her suckling child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet I will not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palm of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. There's a natural bond between a mother and her child. That's why it's so shocking when we hear the stories of a mother abandoning their child because of the bond. And he asked the question, can that happen? And, and the truth is it sometimes happened. But God says, I will never forsake you. I will never, I will never forget you. 
And the reason why is because of God's unconditional love. Have you ever been abandoned? Have you ever been rejected? Have you ever been betrayed? I'm telling you that will never happen in your relationship to Christ. It will never happen in your relationship to Christ because of his unconditional love toward us. In verse 35 it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 39 says, Neither height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us because of his unconditional love. But we're not only secure, but we also have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. Look at chapter, go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. The Holy Spirit indwells us. Look at verse 13. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye, but if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the, of the body, ye shall live. He gives us victory over sin. Look at chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit itself bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Spirit testifies to our own spirit that we are, that we are saved. And then finally, chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Chapter 7 is a chapter of defeat, and the reason why is that the Holy Spirit is only mentioned once. Take a guess how many times the Holy Spirit is mentioned in chapter chapter 8. It is mentioned 19 times. And one of the reasons why, or the reason why it's the high water mark of Romans, and one of the reasons why it's the high water mark of the entire New Testament is because of the Holy Spirit. That we have victory because of the Holy Spirit. On vacation many years ago, I went to amusement park, I went and I went on a ride called paddle boats. Anyone ever been on paddle boats? If you go on paddle boats, you have two buttons. One button is a squirt gun, and, it, and you squirt people as you go around. The other button is a button that makes you move. And I just realized maybe about a month ago, I, I've been doing a lot of squirting. I, I've been very active. I've been very busy, but I haven't been moving. And the reason why, and it's been changing in the last month, is that I was realizing that the only time I was asking to be filled with the Spirit is when I preached. And when I, was te- when I was teaching that I would beg God and I would ask God to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But every day I wasn't doing that. And I realized that, um, that I didn't have the power. That um, I needed the Holy Spirit to have the fruit of the Spirit flow through me. I need the Holy Spirit to have wisdom. I need the Holy Spirit to help me overcome the fear that dominates me at times. That God said he hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. A preacher one time says that we can go to heaven uh, two different ways. We can go second class. That is when we're not filled with the Holy Spirit. Or we can go first class, and that is when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, how do we get filled? 
How do we get filled with the Spirit? You read the book of Acts that so many people are filled with the Spirit and the, and, and the world was turned upside down by Spirit-filled believers. So how do you get filled? I think the first step is to be filled with the Spirit, you have to be empty of self. To be filled with the Spirit has the idea of yielding. It has the idea of submission or, or, or surrender. If there's any known sin, we confess it. And so there's a yielding, there's a surrender. The second thing is that we ask. We simply ask to be filled with the Spirit every day. Or, or, or Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 talks about continually, every day, a, a couple of times during the day, ask to be filled. So we yield, we ask, and then we believe. You know, folks, most times when I ask to be filled with the Spirit, I don't have this fuzzy feeling. Sometimes I, I do. Sometimes you feel the Spirit. But most of the time, it's, it's, you don't. But you believe it. That if you've asked Him to fill you, Believe that he has filled you. There's a third blessing in Romans 8. We are adopted. We are adopted. Look at chapter 8, verse 15. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. A definition of adoption, it is the, it is the act of bringing someone who is the offspring of another, into one's own family. Before we were saved, we were were children of the devil. But when we are saved, we become God's kids by spiritual adoption. But here it's not so much talking about the definition of adoption. It is talking about the spirit-produced awareness that shows us that we can come to God without fear or hesitation. And he uses the term Abba. He uses the term Abba. The word Abba means daddy or papa. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He is Yahweh, the self-existing one. He's the God who, who created the world and, and holds the world together, but, he also, but we can also refer to him and call him our daddy. Did you ever do that? Did you ever do that? There's times in my life that I do that. Daddy, I can't do this. Daddy, I need your help. Daddy, could you please help me today? I can't go on. He is our daddy. He is your precious daddy. He's my precious daddy. Years ago when my daughter was was first adopted, Patty, her mom, would sing a song to her. It went something like this. Kathy girl, Kathy girl wouldn't change my Kathy for the world. Kathy girl, Kathy girl, wouldn't change my Kathy for the world. Do you hear him say that to you? (laughs) Mr. Kerr, Mr. Kerr wouldn't change Mr. Kerr for the world. John, John wouldn't change my John for the world. See, he did that. He did that. 2,000 years ago, he was tempted by the devil and he was offered the world. But he turned it down. He turned it down. Because you and I couldn't get saved if he accepted that offer. But he turned it down so one day when we accepted Christ, he would adopt us. He, he loves you more than he loved the world. And he adopted you and he adopted me. What a, what a great savior. But we also have an inheritance. Verse 17, one of the songs, maybe the last song we sang, the verse was was Romans 8.17. 
Look at verse 17. And if children and heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer it with him, that we may be also glorified together. A man was sitting at a street corner crying. A friend said, why are you crying? He said, didn't you, hear the, didn't you read the newspapers? Rockefeller died. And the man said, why are you crying? Why are you crying? You're no kin of his. And the man replied by saying, that's the reason why I'm crying. <laughs> that man was so upset because he wasn't part of Rockefeller's inheritance. But I tell you, I tell you, Rockefeller's inheritance is nothing to the inheritance that you and I have in Christ. Amen. I mentioned this before maybe a couple years ago, but let me repeat it again. When the Bible talks about inheritance, what are we going to inherit? Number one, we're going to inherit eternal salvation. Titus chapter 3, verse 7 says that being justified by his grace, we shall be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We will also inherit God himself. Keep your place there and look at Psalm 73. Psalm 73. Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26. Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26. Psalm 73, verse 25. It says in verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Pretty good chance that no one's ever seen him here. Most of, them have, most of us have never seen him, but yet he's the most real thing in our lives. We've ordered our lives by him. Our family and friends think we're crazy and we've never seen him. We serve and we love a being that we've never seen, but yet he's the most real thing in our lives. And the greatest thing about heaven is that the one we love more than anything else in the world, we're going to see. We're going to see the one, finally, that we love. And that we love more than anything or anyone else. And that is the greatest thing about heaven. But there's a third thing we're going to inherit. We're going to inherit the universe. Keep your place in Romans and turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. It says there in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, Having these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he have appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And so Christ is going to inherit the world. And everything coming to him comes to us. You say, where do you get that? Romans eight seventeen. Remember Romans eight seventeen. Romans eight eight seventeen. Remember what it says? Heirs, heirs of God. And it says joint heirs with Christ. Everything coming to Christ is coming to us. I remember doing a study maybe about three or four years ago. And when I saw this verse, I backed up. I backed up from my seat. I never saw it before. Everything coming to Christ is coming to us. 
We're going to rule and reign with Christ. I was at that Bible study about six weeks ago. And a man named Bobby Campanelli came to it. He came all the way from Westchester. And um, he didn't know where he was. And I asked my friend Paul, could you go down and check on Bobby? And when Paul goes down checking on Bobby in the parking lot, he's witnessing to someone. So zealous. Bobby was just so zealous. And Bobby said at that Bible study that night, he said, when Jesus comes back, I'm going to sit on his lap and rule the world with him. When Jesus comes back, I'm going to sit on his lap, ruling, ruling and reigning with him and, uh, in the world. Ruling and reigning the, as, as God judges the world. About 10 days later, Bobby went with Jesus. They found him dead. He just couldn't wait to be with Jesus. He couldn't. He was consumed with the second coming of Christ because he wanted to be with Jesus. And maybe Bobby's in Jesus' lap right now. But the truth is, folks, that's, that's, we're getting all this. And I know your problems are real. Some of you are facing financial problems. Some of you are facing health problems. Some of you are facing family problems. And it doesn't do any good to distort it or to, to deny it. But I tell you, I want us to lift our eyes up on high and realize this is what we have looking for. And it allows us to be stable and steadfast and persevere when you know we have all this coming to us. And we could be with Bobby a lot sooner than we could ever think. Sitting on Jesus' lap and being with him. And it gives us the courage to go on and to persevere. Because this is all we have to look for. But also all things can be turned around for good. A very famous passage, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. A very misunderstood verse. It doesn't say that all things are good. It says all things work together for good. It doesn't say all things work together for good for everybody. It says for those, it works good, it works, all things work together for good for them that love God. It doesn't say some things, it says all things. God's made a promise to me and you. He's made a promise here that everything that's ever happened to us, the heartache and the pain, that if we hang in there and don't get bitter, God's made a promise that he will turn it all around for good. But we need to take the long view. We need to take the long view. The patriarchs didn't see all the promises fulfilled. But God's made a promise to me and you that no matter what you and I have ever gone through, God has made a promise that he will eventually turn it around for good, whether we see it here or in heaven. But I believe that. I cling to that. I hold on to that that God keeps his promise, and no matter what you and I have ever gone through, God has a way of redeeming pain. He has a a way of turning it around for good, no matter what we've gone through, that he can turn it around for good. A pastor and his wife, um, in their first pastorate in Brooklyn, New York, was in Brooklyn, New York, to reopen a church. The building was in bad shape, 
They had to repair pews and plaster walls and paint. They set a goal, they set a goal of being in the church on Christmas Eve night. They were going to have a service. But they had a bad storm on the 20th and the 21st. And on the 21st, he went into the sanctuary and he saw that the roof had leaked, which caused a large amount of plaster, uh, which, which, which caused a large amount of plaster, about 20 feet by 5 feet, to fall off the wall of the sanctuary, just be behind the pulpit. He was thinking of canceling the service, but um, he went to a flea market and he saw a beautiful handmade ivory-colored crochet tablecloth, and it covered up the hole behind the pulpit. Right as he left that place, he saw a woman running to catch a bus, and she missed it. So he invited her into the church uh, to stay warm until her next bus. As she came into the church, she saw the beautiful tablecloth, and she saw her initials on it. She had made it. She had made it. She made it 35 years ago. The Nazis were taking over in Austria, and she had to flee the country. She was scheduled to meet her husband a week later, but her husband was arrested, and he hadn't, she hadn't seen her husband in 35 years. Well, the pastor said, um, I want you to have this, and she said, no, I insist that you have this. And so he said, okay. He said, well, could I at least give you a ride home? And he gave her a ride home to Staten Island. Well, the Christmas Eve service was unbelievable. It was a great time, an unbelievable time. At the end of the service, there was an older man that was looking at that tablecloth. And he saw the initials on it. It was his wife. And when he told the pastor that that was his wife, the pastor said, hey, you want to take a ride? And there that, that pastor witnessed possibly the greatest Christian re- Christmas reunion he could ever see. But it all happened because of a storm. It all happened because of a storm. And some of us here today are in a storm right now. And you wonder to yourself, how in the world could God turn this around for good? How in the world could God ever use something that is so painful and hurts so much? How in the world can he turn this around for good? But he has made a promise to me and you that somehow, some way, he will turn everything around for good if we don't get angry at him, if we don't get bitter at him and we cling to him. He has made a promise that all things work together for good. But there's something else. God is for us. Look at verse 31. What shall we then say to these things if God be for us, who can be against us? Mr. Lowe, you know who really helped me with this? It's your friend and former uh, employee, uh, Mike Leon, Pastor Leon. Mike always talks about this, um, that God is for us. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that God puts, up with it. God puts up with us. God tolerates us. It says that God is for us. Do you understand what that means? That God is for us. Can we say that maybe a couple times? Could you repeat with me? God is for us. Let's say it again. 
God is for us. One more time, God is for us. He's crazy about you. He's absolutely crazy about you. He's knocked out about you. He loves you. He's for you. Other people aren't for you, but he is for you. He loves you so much. Biblical meditation is not so much repeating a mantra that doesn't make sense, that takes you to, a, to a, an altered state. Biblical, biblical meditation is used so that, it, so that it renews our mind and changes our behavior. Then maybe this week we'll think about that. Throughout the week, God is for me. God is for me. That God is for me. That God loves me. That no matter what situation I'm going through, God is for me. But he can also meet our needs. Look at verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? In verse 32, Paul is saying that God sent his son when we were his enemies. Or if God, What he's saying? If God sent his son when we were his enemies, isn't he going to take care of us? Isn't he going to take care of us now that we are his kids? If God sent his son in the midst of our rebellion when, we're his, when we were his enemies, isn't he going to take care of every need that you and I have right now? D.L. Moody explained it this way. You go into a, a jewelry shop and the owner comes out with the most expensive diamond that's in the store and he gives it to you. The most expensive diamond in the store and he gives it to you. What this verse is teaching is if that owner gave you the diamond, the most precious diamond he could ever give in that store, isn't he going to give you the wrapping? Isn't he going to give you the wrapping? God gave the most precious thing that he could ever give in his son. And is he gonna, isn't he going to take care of everything, every need that we have? I've been young, and now I've been old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken. But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in, in Christ Jesus. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. It's taken so long, but I'm finally starting to get it. I'm finally starting to get it that when a financial hit comes, when a, a financial problem comes, you know what I'm starting to think? It's not if he's going to do it. It's how he's going to do it. Almost like unbelievable anticipation is how are you going to pull it off now? How are you going to pull, how are you going to pull it off now? That if God gave his son, if God gave his son, surely... He's going to meet every other need. And then finally, we have victory in our trials. We have victory in our trials. Look at verse 35 again. We're going to read this passage again. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecutions or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that love us. 
For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, I want you to notice that in verse 35, it begins with, um, verse 35 talks about um, that we are secure. It talks about that we are secure. In verses 38 and 39, it talks about the fact that we are secure. But sandwiched in between verse 35 and 38, in verses 36 and 37, is life. It's life. Real, hard life. Real, difficult life. Verse 36, when it says, For thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. It's actually a quote from Psalm 44, verse 22. One writer said that in the first century, Christians could be killed, at least one Christian could be killed every day. They were brought to their death as sheep being brought to the slaughter. But it hasn't changed. Actually, it's got worse. In 2021, it was a record-breaking year. 360 million Christians were persecuted. Almost 6,000 Christians were killed. And you know know the state of our country. I don't have to tell you the state of our country, that your pastor could possibly be faced with, with, with being arrested for speaking against sin very shortly. The way, that, the way our country is going. So what? Do we, do we put on our holy garments and just wait, just wait for the rapture? No. Look at the next verse. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that love us. Paul uses a compound Greek word which means over-conqueror or to conquer completely or super-conquerors. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's a Christian. It's a super conqueror. And the, and the amazing thing is that it's, we become super conquerors, not that, he, that, that we escape the problems in the midst of all the problems, in the midst of all the difficulties, in the midst of the persecution. We are more than conquerors now. Now. Now, 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 we are super conquerors. In the midst of the heartache, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the persecution, we are more than conquerors now. We can conquer anything through his power and his strength. He will give us the grace to go through anything. Present tense. You've heard of Adrian Rogers. He tells the story of General Jonathan Mayhem, Mayhew Wainwright. Excuse me. He led a gallant but vain fight that caused him to be a prisoner of war. For months, the Japanese would mock him and beat him. Then the Allies won. And um, the Japanese thought, maybe the general doesn't know that, that the Allies won. So they were going to do what they always did every day. They went to him ready to mock him and beat him. But the general stood up. Even though he was very, very weak from the beatings of all those months, he stood up and he said to them, from now on, I'm giving the orders around here. From now on, I'm giving the orders around here. And if the truth been told, um, our enemy has been mocking us. 
He's been causing all kind of havoc in our lives. He's been telling us we're no good. He's been telling us about our sin over and over and over again. He's been telling us you're not going to get the victory and the situation's never going to change. But I tell you, we need to stand up to him with the whole armor of God and, and, we, and we need to say to him, I know now that I have the victory. I know now who I am in Christ. I know all the truths in Romans 8 and, and I know I have the victory right now. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for Romans 8. Thank you for so much truth in Romans 8. Thank you for all that we have in Christ. Thank you for all that we have in Christ. We are so rich. I pray that you would encourage these precious folk this week. Lord, I don't know, but you know all that they're going through. And I just pray that they would be encouraged today by just the great salvation you have given them. And that each and every day, they would be reminded of, the, of that truth, of how much you love them and all that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.